This is episode number 124 with Bhavan Patel. Welcome to Transform Talks, the only podcast that cuts straight through the hype and noise on supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, the CEO and co-founder of the Future Insights Network. Join me as I uncover the stories and delve deeper into the topics that really matter to you. The power of data analytics in creating business value is probably no secret to you. In this episode, I find out how Johnson & Johnson is trying to adopt a digital-first mindset through harnessing the ecosystem of data between their supply chain systems and connecting that to the demand signal of the external marketplace, with the key goal being to improve operational agility and building resilience into the supply chain organization. Joining me in this episode is Bhavan Patel, Director of Analytics and Innovation at Johnson & Johnson. Bhavan manages an organization poised to drive digital transformation in supply chain as a competitive advantage, and he specializes in digital strategy and people leadership. He's curious to unlock data science, intelligent automation, and process and task mining to advance the way we work. Leveraging data is easier said than done. I'm interested to hear Bhavan's perspective on some of the challenges of implementing data science within supply chain processes. So let's get started. Hi, Bhavan. Thank you so much for joining us on Transform Talks. Thanks, Maria. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk a little bit more about the digital supply chain and transformation journey here. Well, this is exciting. The digital supply chain is exciting, you know? Absolutely. In the post-pandemic COVID era, you can see it more than ever. Supply chain is all over the news. And it's absolutely a necessity when you think about the type of technologies and the decision-making we need to improve to get reliable product in the right place at the right time. I don't think it's ever been more in demand as, as a question and topic in the industry. You know what? I, th- I think, you know, when, when I first started doing this podcast, it was all about, you know, what is digital transformation? What does it mean to you kind of thing? It's, no. it's now turned into life and death. You know, it's, it's, it's the survival life or death of a company is how well they've managed to adopt this new digital world, you know, don't you think? Absolutely. I think it's about how well can you anticipate and react, right? And I think if COVID showed us anything, it's our ability to sense what's to arrive when you can't always use historical measures and then also then predict of what will arrive, right? And I think, especially in the world of digital, which, you know, it's a large ambiguous topic, knowing what are those core components you can distill that into and how do we think about improving our processes? And I think there's a lot of industry examples when you think of the Apple, Teslas, and Netflix, the world of how they have sort of branded digital in the way that organizations are thinking about implementing these technologies to drive value. You know, I want to ask you because your expertise lies in uh, data and analytics. And, uh, you know, for those of you that are listening to us, you know, Bavin's got this lovely, cool background there. It says analytics and innovation. So (laughs) I'm, I'm excited to find out a little bit more about how you know, if you can tell us about mm-hmm. Johnson & Johnson and how you're leveraging the power of data to improve supply chain operations. Absolutely. So at Johnson & Johnson, we're looking at how do we become a digital first organization, right? And transforming our DNA and ecosystem. And as you're seeing some of our recent news as well of our intent to split the organization as well to be competitive in, in marketplace industry. And a lot of that of, of becoming a digital first organization starts with a solid data infrastructure. That becomes a core foundation, and I think for us, it's it's we've thought about that as of harnessing all the power of our internal and external data assets to improve our operational agility and bring digital products to market. Right, so everything from the descriptive part of our business of what is happening in marketplace, what is happening inside our organization, all the way to the predictive of what will happen, and recognizing that if we can harness 
the ecosystem of data between our supply chain systems, connect that to the demand signals of the external marketplace, right? A famous acronym here, a lot of SNU, social media events, weather news, and yeah. thinking about what, what that means for us. And if you think about even weather alone was a huge disruptor for a supply chain organization this past year. So that ability to connect all those dots together to make better decisions ultimately. And that's at all parts of our organization at all levels to become faster. And I think that's what we're realizing is we need to improve the speed and of agility of our organization, but then also better service our end customers and react to the marketplace and the consumers and what they need. So it's been exciting to think about how do we embed digital into our ecosystem with our people, our technology, our processes. And I think we're just, we're very much on the, the starting point of that journey. And I think it will, it will change the way we look and feel on a daily basis. So, you know, you spoke at our recent Transform Fest event about your prescriptive uh, analytics journey at Johnson & Johnson. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges uh, that you faced when implementing data science within your supply chain processes? Yeah, I think data science, it's a, it's a large domain when you think about that. I think a lot of it is first, how do you best describe and understand what data science is? And I think there there may be, um, you know, when you think about the the prescriptive journey of needing to leverage technologies or um, coding languages like R and Python to make forecasting or optimization solutions and decisions. I think one of the key challenges is, is it the right fit for use of the use case, right? At times, if you have an analytics question or a solution, that doesn't mean data science may be the right solution for it always. So I think sometimes we're applying, um, you know, is it the right, uh, are we trying to fit a peg into a round hole or, you know, that, as that acronym or that saying goes, but I think for us, it's been- I always get it sure. backwards. I always get it backwards. <laughs> <All right. Yeah. laughs> Never know if it's a round peg in a square hole or a square peg in a round hole. I, I, either way, I get, I get your meaning. Yeah, absolutely. So do we know the, the intention of data science? Do, can we raise the awareness of what we could do when you think about those type of capabilities of forecasting, optimization, natural language processing? And then do we ultimately know what the need is of the use case itself? I think the challenge is becoming beyond the awareness part has been making sure that we're prescribing the right solution for the right problem statement. And I think that will be the continued journey as the domain field of data science also increases and then working through a consortium of, do we have the information and data that we need? I would say most of the challenges in that space, if the data doesn't exist, we don't have a problem to mm -hmm. go solve. So that's a lot of um, assumptions that could be made. So quality and reliability of data can't be underestimated. The way we're transforming that, working with our data engineers to make sure it's modeled in an appropriate fashion and then applying the right solution. So it's, it's, an, um, it's a large space for sure. I would say many challenges, but I think there's, there's been a lot of movement in the industry to help people understand what the field is, how do we prescribe and, and think of a life cycle of prescribing a data science product or a solution in that space. And I think there'll be more applications and we'll see more examples come to life where that's being applied today. Do, do you think that, I mean, it's fair to say that technology isn't the problem with the with data. In other words, the opportunities that tech can offer for data science and analytics is great. That it's the people that might be the problem? It's the people in the process, right? I think it's change management and digital transformations today do not fail from a lack of technology. The technology is available. Companies that are harnessing it are driving a competitive advantage in the marketplace in some ways creating new industries from it. The challenge has been the change management when you have legacy corporations, legacy yeah. systems, and you may not have prescribed the right solutions or skill set in the roles. 
And so what we're seeing is a huge endeavor with HR organizations to think about what is the skill set you need in digital organizations? How do you build that skill set? How do you work across a five-generation workforce um, where you still need the SME knowledge of individuals that have been running a supply chain organization for two, three decades, but you also need emerging talent that come with digital capabilities. When you think about Gen Z that's entering the workforce that is digitally native, that has an expectation of the tools and skill sets that they will be able to apply in their day-to-day -day jobs. You have a lot of change to work through from people perspective. And then the processes, I think the, the change fatigue comes from that ability to replace existing processes that have been nestled into organizations to think about how do we drive that at all levels and how do you do that with speed, right? A lot of that can be tripping over each other. If you think about trying to deploy a global top-down solution or try to incubate a test and learn that you're then trying to scale up. So having the patience and resilience for that is key. And I think we're, we're just starting to see what are the key success criteria when you think about effective change management in organizations and who's really able to transform their people and process um, with the technology to be effective in the space. I think also, you know, there's a, an element of um, sort of, like you said, fatigue, you know, of maybe cynicism of because and uh -huh. you know you're younger than me but i think back when i was you know back when i was working back when i was starting and it was like we're going to change everything yeah. it took forever to change things there were yeah. legacy issues the, the change happened in years measured in years whereas uh -huh. now we're at a stage where change happens quickly and technologies uh -huh. help that so i think you've got the really younger generations that are really eager to change things uh, and the older people saying, oh, my gosh, it's going to take forever to change things. So <laughs> yeah. how do we marry these two? Right. It, yeah. Do you think that's something that's. Absolutely. And, and I, um, you know, if you look through history, I don't think there was ever a period of change happening faster than right now. And that's oh. being enabled by technology. So if you think about and just the things that I'm amazed by day to day basis, you have um YouTube programs where people are doing product launches by 10-year-olds that are making yeah. money, their own businesses. So you, you have this serial entrepreneurship where anyone that has an idea is empowered by technology. The resource and barrier to entry is very low. All you really need is, is a computer these days and the internet to get started with whatever business you want to go launch. So the barrier to entry has been reduced the democratization who can learn these skill sets and get the education. You don't necessarily need to go to a four-year degree university or top 10 B school to launch the next big idea. And we're seeing that disruption in all industries. And, and if you think about that Shark Tank concept, it's very real. And I think that's changing the ways that, that businesses even think about where they want to play, where they want to compete, how they want to design their organizations of products and services they want to sell in this digital environment. Um, and that disruption is only gonna get more accelerated as you're seeing more change with Bitcoin, you're seeing more change with not just the financial services aspect, but even what is considered a, a marketable service, right? Mm -hmm. And some of the things you hear with NFTs, I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm amazed honestly of how fast it's happening. And I think it'll be important for us to be aware of those emerging trends and disruptions, but then how do we wanna ready our organizations, our teams um, to be ready for those, for those changes and what the, career trajectory or what the, the future will look like, right? Well, you know what? It's not hyperbole to say that we are living through an era of paradigm shifting change. I mean, the, 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 the dynamic, the paradigm is completely shifting, right? Mm -hmm. So, but let me in, let you in on a little secret. Most companies have got to adapt to this kind of very quick shifting mm -hmm. 
sands, right? To build that kind of resilience. So they need people like you and they need to, you know, absolutely leverage data technology to augment what humans are already doing so that we can tap into that creativity, right? And we can, you know, we can actually look to salvage what we've got because there are companies that are being disrupted. You know, know, these behemoth large organizations, like you said at the beginning of the chat, that have Uh legacy systems, that have issues, that take, Uh you know, eons to change. They're being disrupted by the 10-year-old starting up a a YouTube channel and selling stuff out of his basement. Absolutely. And and I I think adapt is a perfect word for that, right? Because when I think of adapt, I think about how do you anticipate, drive, accelerate, partner, and trust? Um, and I, that's just uh, an acronym that sticks me when I hear that word adapt and it's changing because I, I remember wait, say that or, again, say that again, because yep. I want to make sure that everybody in the back heard it too. Yeah, absolutely. Anticipate, drive, accelerate, partner, and trust. Love it. And, and I think it's, it's something that's, it's more needed right now more than ever. I think many organizations and companies that have, if, if you just really think about what you even expected in an organization or even the tenure of even CEOs or, or ways of, of leadership is you wanted them to be an orchestrator. You wanted them to conduct an organization to move to a direction. Now they're th- now if you really think about what digital leadership looks like and you think about what this new ecosystem, you need to not be a barrier and have one person make a decision. You want to create the democratization and create the right sub-organizations that can move with speed and agility on decision-making. So when I think about adapting, it's, are you, are you becoming a barrier by waiting for the orchestrator conductor? Or are you, have, are you more of an electrician that's thinking about the speed and agility of decision-making all throughout? And what are the decisions you're empowered to make? And if you look at tech companies, I think they do this extremely well. Um, Mm -hmm. The Apple and Netflix, Googles of the world that think about creating the right uh, squads and teams that can be empowered to make decision making that have the right P&L accountability to drive transformation in their organizations and marketplace. And also think about speed of innovation, right? Are they competing on that? That's an an industry where you're you're absolutely competing who's first to marketplace. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what a lot of these organizations are responding to is how do they improve when they think about being an agile organization of that adapt model and the way they think about being electricians with speed and agility versus the orchestrator. I think it goes back to what we, you were saying at the beginning in terms of the digital transformation being a people and process thing, right? Yeah. I would add something else, which is kind of the same people thing, but it's a mindset thing, right? right. It's, it, it's also has to be, and this is why perhaps the digital natives have an advantage because they've got that uh, digital curiosity, that data curiosity as well, mm-hmm. that perhaps is not something that um, other generations have. So yeah. how do we resolve it? I think the awareness is a huge part of it, right? I think podcasts like these make a huge difference to raise the awareness. And I think more socialization of these topics mm-hmm. and the art of possible is important. So as we're seeing more trends come to marketplace, how do people become aware of what they are and how do we make that accessible? And you're seeing that even in the learning space, right? E-learning with LinkedIn learning and the ways that people can learn new skill sets. Again, the barrier to entry is very low. And so becoming, taking the ownership of learning what's, what is happening, what is relevant, and then thinking, thinking like um, the experiments and like a scientist, where can you apply some of these concepts to transform existing processes? We're not, when people think of creating innovation, I think they, they've mistaken it for times of, I need to create something grandiose that's extremely large. 
you can disrupt and drive change even on a small scale level. And, and if you think about most ideas, that's how it starts. It's a test and learn of applying a technology or applying something and saying, well, how, how might I reinvent an existing process the same solve way a that- problem. Exactly. Let me add to solve a problem. Cause I think a lot of times, yep. and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. one of my biggest bugbears is the obsession some CEOs and boards have on technology, this fixation yeah. that technology is gonna solve it all. Right. Um, or technology is going to give you that added advantage. It's almost like, right. you know, keeping up with the Joneses, right? I'm going to buy a robot. I'm going to buy ML, you know, right. I'm going to buy AI. And so therefore I'm going to be better. But if you're not looking to solve a problem or create right. something for the greater good, or uh, I don't know, gain some advantage, then isn't right. just technology for the sake of technology, just layering it on more yeah. complexity. You're, you're absolutely spot on. And that was so well said is, are we able to identify the problems that we want to solve? that we have told ourselves were not possible to solve from a lack of technology, right? And I think that's a huge part of it. And if you think about any of those problems today, even, even in supply chain, it's about the relevancy of visibility and transparency was not there of what was happening across our end customers or across our upstream manufacturing partners. The technology now is enabled to solve that problem, right? So are we matching the right problem statement to the right um, technology and making that known to our to our people in our organizations, and then are we giving them the right tools to succeed with the skill sets they need to solve those problems? And I think that will be the big piece is as we we keep going through this journey in the next one, three, five years with Industry 4.0, as we're seeing more technologies come to market, those problem statements will get reinvented, and we'll find new problems to solve as we always have through humanity, and we'll find new solutions to solve them. But I think the disruptors in that space that can harness that rally their organizations and teams to march towards and achieve those outcomes will be those those that are most successful. Yeah, I think that's that's extremely fair and very well said. I think the 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 challenge now is to try to implement this change management quick enough. Yep. Yes. You know, quick enough that don't you think that's yeah. going to be the challenge because i think a lot of people are busy sort of chasing their tails doing their jobs on yeah. a day-to-day -day basis you know whatever yeah. whatever analogy you want to do you, they, they don't have time yeah. to sharpen the saw they don't have time to you know to take yeah. us to stop and think how do i actually implement a better working practice better teams yeah. better culture better mindset right. right how do i do that and i think that's where the war is going to be won I, you know, one thing that I've, um, I'm not going to name names, but you hear this famous acronym in organizations about walking the square. And I think it's the most ridiculous thing I've heard about of how much alignment and consensus are you going to garner versus are you implementing the right frameworks for decision-making to be fast enough? So, and are you trusting at levels in your organizations to make the right decisions that allows you to keep moving with the speed and agility that you need in this space? And I think that will be a new paradigm shift of how organizations think about decision-making, think about how they want to empower their individuals all the way at the analyst level, through managers, through senior leaders. Like, what, what is it that you need them to be accountable for? And what do you trust them to do? Especially if technology is going to help automate some of the work that they've been doing for that, that function or the occupation, the new responsibilities are garnered and given to them that, that allowed you to invent the future. And so the ability to have trust, to give the purpose from, from organizations and to only ultimately recognize what is the decision they should be accountable for. I think that will, will transform. And I, I anticipate that being a key competitive advantage to organizations that have the right decision-making frameworks be able to win a marketplace. Well, it's, it's also kind of like a, you know, chicken and egg situation, right? Mm -hmm. Because I don't think that companies that don't have, I think companies that don't have that kind of freedom to empower 
failure and mm -hmm. decision maker decision making and trust will attract the top talent that yep. will help them implement agility and resilience in what's mm -hmm. to come right yeah, absolutely what do they say trust but verify right is yeah are we trusting enough in our people and the outcomes we're we're expecting them to achieve and giving them the environment and the tools to succeed and then thinking through how do we want to measure the outcomes because i think if the outcomes is clear and if we to your point if we are if we are embracing failure failure is just learning agility right mm -hmm. so if you made a, a a set of good assumptions to try something and it did not work then it's about how well are those are those learnings applied so we don't repeat i think that the piece in large solid organizations is you you're probably having repetitive failures in different parts of the organizations where if those learnings were applied you can move faster right and i think that's a big piece is when i think about decision making it's also the awareness of what is happening but then also where where do we want to think about the process of how we want to go to market or how we want to implement digital into these into into the marketplace that I think is is going to be the the differentiator there. I don't think there's any organization that is safe from repetitive failure, right? I mean, I, yeah. I think unfortunately it is until we and this is going to be a bit controversial, but yeah. until we almost deprogram people mm -hmm. from archaic methodologies and business models that perhaps right. have very little relevance in today's right. market we are still going to have these repetitive failures and i bet right. you people listening some of the some of you listening will think this will speak to me and think yeah right. we are having repetitive failures so right. how do we deprogram that how do we right. how do we how do we do this right I, I think so one is um agile right that's more of a methodology but if you think about the, do you have the daily standups with your teams to know, you know, what are the burning platforms? What are the blockers? Do you have the retrospects to know, hey, we the last two weeks, what do we learn? What do we not like? Because then you're having continuous process improvement into the way that you work. And the notion of what is a team? A team is not a solid line relationship anymore. And now there are teams of teams that are matrixed. And are you very clear within your teams who are the stakeholders that you serve or the customers you serve and the stakeholders you partner with? Oh, by the way, that doesn't have to be just in your organization. That could be in the industry. So are you partnering effectively to create a team that you need that's maybe distributed, not hierarchical, to make decisions? And is that effectively working? And so this approach, when, approach when I think about Agile and I think about teams, it shifts to be becoming more of a product-based approach, right? You're building mm -hmm. a product that's going to, you're trying to achieve an outcome or change or solve a problem there. And who you need to go make that product successful is how, how we approach that. So I think that will be a big shift. Um, and I think I've already seen it, but I think democratizing it to your point to retire existing and old ways of working to embrace new, that's how you get the agility and speed of decision-making you're looking for. And what's at the heart of all this? Data? insights yep. and analytics absolutely absolutely and i think um you know what i would tell your listeners is don't underestimate that roadmap to curate the data i still think a lot of folks think about the analytics or the end product without having a data roadmap so i recommend building that robust data roadmap of what information you need being very clear on the digital products or assets that you want to go drive in your organizations or industry and then making sure that people and process foundations there of how they go build and work together to bring that to life right i think that's um, that's huge part where's, of it. where's most companies yeah. i think i mean i'm yeah. being you know i'm maybe a, a little bit too general here i'm generalizing but i think data is a bit of a sort of secondary thing yeah yeah, you know, I it's, think it's sort of a byproduct yeah. of yeah. the process, a byproduct of the decision making. It's a byproduct of 
an action as opposed mm-hmm. to the be all in it, the starting point. I think the reason is you, you um, if you follow the five whys, right, something will happen. You'll underperform on a business. And the first question you ask is why. And you sort of go down that tail and you realize, well, I didn't have the right information or I'm missing the data piece versus you flip it. And you say, how do I become a data-driven organization that thinks about all the information I need to improve the decisions I make? And I, I think that's the, the fundamental shift is that awareness that it is available for the most part. If it's not available, that's the gap closure. And that becomes a competitive advantage for how we win. Um, for folks to think that way, I think that's a, that's a huge part of it. And by having that robust data roadmap first and making that as a part of your, and I know some organizations are even building roles like chief data officer. I know mm-hmm. we have chief data science officers to think about that for their organizations um, to be able to be effective in industry. You know, I think it's also back to what I said, mindset. You yeah. know, to have data-driven leadership, you need to be, you know, very much aware of the importance of data from right. the top down and have that data curiosity of not right. just waiting for the failure to ask why. Yes, absolutely. I, yeah, yeah. You need the sponsorship, right? You need that mm-hmm. top down of, and and you have to live it. I think part of change management is if you're in leadership positions today and you've never applied analytics, how how can you effectively be a sponsor of that, right? And or digital, is you have to walk the talk. You gotta you gotta live yeah. into it with the way that you work, the way that you think, and that sponsorship enablement. I mean, I'm absolutely. I think those those leaders are the ones that inspire and motivate. And I think those are the ones that they will, they absolutely will attract the best talent to go drive transformation. Bhavan, it's been yeah. a, a pleasure speaking to you. I wish we had more time. I think that this is, you're definitely doing some exciting things. And more importantly, I think you're walking the talk is, uh, you know, based on what you've been saying, I'm really excited. I appreciate this, Maria. This was a fun conversation. I've enjoyed it. No, me too. And for those of you watching at home or listening at home, actually, we'll catch you at the next one. Thanks so Thank much. You. Thanks for joining us today at Transform Talks. I hope you found this valuable. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, comment, and share. I'll see you at the next one.